1: I always lead in and say it's been a crazy week, but I think this one it really topped it all. So I um, was working with clients in Buffalo, New York, and uh, for those of you that aren't aware of the weather situation, it got to negative 35 there, uh, probably about uh, five to seven feet of snow. And the, the first thing to know about my bio is that uh, I grew up in Florida and uh, moved to Alabama. So we don't do snow. And so this was my first real experience in, in driving in that much snow. Um, it really did kind of shut the city down. Um, I got snowed in, all the flights were canceled. It took a while to kind of uncork that and, and get out. So it's, it was one of those weeks where uh, I was trying to work but uh, it was just nuts and just crazy. And so uh, full apologies to my guests that I'm about to bring on. Normally we're a little bit more prepared um, and so if, if he doesn't seem as prepared as normal, that's 100% my fault. And uh, I own that. And I learned that as a project manager as well. Just fall on the sword when it's your sword to fall on. So, but I do want to bring in this gentleman. Um, he's got uh, many years of experience as a senior project manager. He's been a practitioner uh, for 22 years at Hewlett Packard Company. He is now an executive consultant for the England Project Management Consultancy, and that's England. I'm um, not England, so you can uh, visit them at www.englandpmc.com, which is E-N-G-L-U-N-D-P-M-C.com. And so, whether he's teaching university courses or PMI seminars, he delights in creating memorable experiences using multimedia, interactive discussions, and a systems approach to organizational learning. These derive from work in a corporate project management initiative at HP whose purpose as a project office was to lead the continuous improvement of project management across the company. And from leading workshops worldwide, consulting with product developers on a variety of cross-organizational projects… He's a firm believer in action learning and sharing experiences. His insights and style bring the concepts from way up there to right down here, equip you with the tools, and empower you to act. So let's bring him on. Uh, he, he's written several books, Creating an Environment for Successful Projects, Creating the Project Office, The Complete Project Manager, The Complete Project Manager's Toolkit, Project Sponsorship. Uh, it's Randy England. How you doing, Randy?
2: Well, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, fortunately, I haven't been in the in the snow. We've had some colder weather here in southern Utah, but right now we have some beautiful blue sky and sixty-seven degrees. So I can feel. And, and so,
1: what's what's weather. colder? Yeah, <laughs> when you're saying colder, what's colder to you?
2: Well, we got down into the thirties. Did you? Okay, nothing
1: nothing negative so- though. Right, and it's sixty degrees here in Alabama. I got back late, late, late last night. Uh, beautiful day here, sixty degrees. Um, you know, no clouds in the sky, and that it was literally—it's almost a hundred degree swing. I mean, you're thinking it was negative thirty-seven somewhere around there. It, it got colder, you know, with wind chills. Uh, but it's like a hundred degree swing in twenty-four <laughs> hours, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. So we were talking um, before, and we were hoping Alfonso would join us, um, but we, we can certainly catch him next time, and we'll schedule again. Um, but you guys are, are looking at this complete project manager. Tell the audience about that book and, and what your intention is behind the book.
2: We have long focused on the people skills, the personal skills. as being super important for effective project managers, and I've long uh Thoroughly enjoyed this profession because it really does tap from multiple disciplines. I had occasion in my early part of my career to work at Hewlett Packard in, in sales development, so I got to know the sales process. I took a negotiating course probably close to 30 years ago, and uh, it changed my life. And, uh, and then I've, of course, always been doing projects. We've had conflict, we've had changes, we've had all kinds of things that come up that require a multitude of skills required to be successful. Not only just learning the basic fundamentals of project management, which is sort of the technical side of this discipline, but it really involves more so the people. In fact, uh, a way I also characterize it many times is that a lot of times we've been trained in a technical profession, whether it's software or hardware, or any kind of accounting or anything. And at some point it gets where we, maybe hit a plateau and wondering, how do we advance? How do we kind of uh, get past this this uh, status quo and nothing seems to be changing? And it really is all about working with people. So that's why with Alfonso Pizarro, which I've known for 20-some years here now because he started out at HP as one of my customers that we were training and then became a, a, a good client and colleague. And so we really worked together to try to talk about how can we put all of these disciplines together in one place? And we call it the complete project manager. Because, in fact, most of us are probably more incomplete. In, in other words, so we, we lack the skills to deal with certain situations. We hit a personality that we don't know how to deal with. There's a change happening that we're ill-prepared to, to address. Uh, we're, we're stuck in a negotiating deal, and, and we haven't developed our negotiating skills. So a lot of that incompleteness means we miss our deadlines. We hit, uh, get some, uh, some challenges that we aren't prepared to face. And of course, we get failures. And so uh, that's what we're kind of saying. The contrast is, or maybe the default is, we're incomplete. How do we become more complete? And our premise is that it really does entail learning about leadership skills, How's that different from management skills? We learn about uh, being able to influence other people. What are the principles of influence? And what are the principles of sales, negotiating, conflict management, change management, market and customer knowledge, as well as even one of chapter holes devoted to having fun, using humor at work. So these are part of what we're, we're talking about as a complete project manager is being able to. Uh, understand all of these disciplines. And even our proposal for the book originally was not to say we're introducing brand new material about these disciplines. What we are doing is telling the stories and putting them in the context of doing projects, programs, and portfolio management and being able to apply it. And part of it, even initially, is just to be inspired to say, yeah, I guess it is important to understand that it's my job to manage up the organization and manage a sponsor, yeah, I guess it is important to have fun at work because usually you think work and fun are incompatible, but people are more productive when they are having fun. So, these are the things we're trying to put, put together.
1: And, and I love it. You, you hit a couple of the key spots that I say on the show all the time. You know, One of my favorite things to say is that the, the most important skill set a project manager needs to develop is influence. And, um, you know, we've had guys on, on the show that say, you know, the, the soft skills are hard, right? They've got to be taught. And if you look at the PMBOK itself, right, it, it teaches you uh, HR theory, procurement theory. It teaches you, um, you know, all the different things that you're supposed to be aware of from project manager, but they don't tell you how to apply it. Right. You know, uh, and really, right, get into the sales. And so it tells you negotiation tactics, but it doesn't teach the art of negotiation. And so I, I think that there's a huge void um, because most, te- most project managers I've met are technical project managers and, and it's very difficult for them to reach that soft state, that soft skills state. Um, so what are you doing? You know, how do you get this information to, to the audience?
2: Well, you know, the, the things that we do, obviously is writing a book. Uh, we write uh, blogs, uh, we do LinkedIn postings and so forth. And one of the key things is, is being able to do seminars with the Project Management Institute. And uh, we used to do it as two days, but we found we couldn't cover it all, so we expanded it to four days. We're wondering, uh, what would people come and spend four days at it? Well, we, we actually saw attendance really jump, uh, almost double when we did it as four days. So uh, I think it's uh, being able to be out there to talk to PMI conferences, at meetings, uh, through the written word social media be able to, to kind of talk about the importance of these things and be able to tell the stories and and what I love also is that through our network around the world for both Alfonso and myself because Alfonso of course is from Spain and in fact right now he's down in Panama doing some training and is being able to uh, be out there and to talk about these things and and inspire people through through the presence of being able to uh, say these are, these things are important. And right now, I also am doing a, an online class on leading and managing technical projects through Northeastern University, which is, of course, based out of Boston. And uh, you know, we get to, to 20 people in the in the class, and we get them to read the material, to do forums, and. And even do some assessments because we open all of our seminars with an assessment of your personal skills and do a radar chart. And typically sales, politics, negotiating, these are all areas where they score themselves pretty low. So part of it is to get people's attention to realize, yeah, I'm not very good at these things. And yeah, they've been holding me back. And then once we've got the attention, then we try to kind of say, okay, here are some Here are the 10 rules of negotiating. Here's a couple other rules that you never want to break. And here are some things that uh, what's different about leading versus managing, where you need to be more visionary. You need to have a good vision statement. And you need to be able to take uh, the time to realize that people are motivated differently. If you try to teach everybody or deal with everybody in the same way, that's not going to work. Some people want to... For instance, always see things in email. Other people want to have voicemail or in person. You know, neurolinguistic linguistic programming is the way. What's your preferred communication channels? We need to know these things. And uh, another discipline, I think, the appreciative inquiry. Get people to realize, gosh, we focus on so much negative in our performance evaluations and our feedback. And appreciative inquiry says, forget about that stuff. Find out what you do well. Where are your strengths? Be able to work in your strengths and don't get into the deficit of discourse where you're just so frustrated with the, the negatives and, and, you, and you just drag down. And even a performance plan, if you only work on the things that you're not really good at or your weaknesses, you might only get to a par performance. How do you get to extraordinary performance? You really discover what your strengths are and you operate them and you find ways to, to work those things. And, you know, if you've got a, a humor side to you, don't put it down, let it out. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's, it's being able to just help people see the light come on is what I'm talking about.
1: And we're actually going to unpack several of those things. We're going to take a quick break here. Before we go to break, though, I have a crack, crack research team here. And so I received a phone call just before we started here uh, from from the very only uh, John Watson who said that he was rereading one of your books and the complete project manager was something you introduced about 25 years ago um, in another textbook. And so this has been kind of something you've been building over time and continue to build. So I'm excited to to unpack that a little bit, but we're going to take a quick break right here. You're listening to Rick Morris, the work-life balance.
0: Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, Train project managers or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes. R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com.
3: In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development life cycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience so be the one who wins app after app day after day with agile management from ca
0: are you getting the most out of your project management software
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You are tuned in to the Work Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance.
1: And we're back to this edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're meeting with Randy England. He is the uh, Executive Consultant for England Project Management Consultancy. You can find that at englandpmc.com. That's E-N-G-L-U-N-D-P-M-C.com. And uh, we were discussing your book, The Complete Project Manager. You said that there's really got 12, you know, key principles and, and things that you do. But your first chapter, what's the first chapter of the book? Leadership and management. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I want to dive into that, but I i tend to dovetail because, you know, I'm a high eye personality and stuff just comes into my head. But so real-world conversation where uh, we, we've got work that's being done, projects being done, all goals are trying to get this project done by April 1st. Easily got 10 weeks worth of work, trying to do it in four weeks, and, and we're letting the client know, hey, April 1st isn't going to happen. And the number one you know, question is, well, what is the date? You're like, yeah, but you still haven't defined all the requirements, so I don't want to give you a date. And all of a sudden, project management becomes about the, the negotiation of a date it truly doesn't have any impact on the work itself. It's just some arbitrary thing that we're saying, well, we have to have something by this date, unless it's first-to-market strategy, something of that sort. And so, from a leadership perspective, I was trying to, to to ask them, like, what would happen if we didn't make that date? And, you know, we could make that date, but then the product's not going to be usable. But, hey, we made the date. You know, are we excited about that? Those those types of things, I think, require a tremendous amount of foresight in leadership to be able to pull a, a company, organization, or project through? What do you think? I
2: think what you, you mentioned is right there, an example of a complete project manager needs both negotiating skills and the leadership skills. And uh, maybe it's a little bit of conflict. It was also, you know, one of the chapters is really the people side of project management. And you just hit upon a lot of them with your little scenario right there. And what we were really trying to say, it's, it's very important to integrate all of that and realize, well, you can't just be a project manager and just be a manager and just try to work on the task and say, no, we can't do that because you're not going to be in good uh, standing with whether it's your client or your sponsor by saying no. So, you know, part of it's being creatively, how do you you say, yes, but you may not like the results? Or, yes, we we can't do all of that, but we could do this, and then you start thinking about negotiating. Well, let's do some what-if statements. What if? we did a subset by that particular timeframe, would that work for you? Neither one of you are making a commitment, but you're just trying to get a reaction to think, what is it that they would respond to if we propose it that way, are they open to it? And then part of negotiating is finally saying, don't get stuck on, on a position. You have to find out what the interests are. What do they really care about? What's the most important? Is there a subset that can be done in, in that time frame that absolutely has to be met. And when you start finding find out what the interests are as opposed to their position, then you have some room to negotiate to get to some agreement. And all of this is, is requiring some leadership skills and realize, well, you've got a person that you're trying to motivate. You're not just trying. You can't just tell them no or you can't just tell them this is what we're going to do and take it or leave it. That's not going to make you a winner. So, it really does involve uh, all of these types of activities where you need to work together and pull them together. And, you know, we do start out with, with the, uh, from the very beginning, uh, with leadership and management. And, and we do an assessment, and, and there's 10 questions that we ask uh, people to do as part of the skill set. And, and we kind of title it, Start by Leading Yourself. And I'm able to manage my emotions. It's not a yes or no. We're really kind of asking for a scale from one to seven. One, no, I can't do it. Seven, hey, I'm perfect. I'm great. I'm excellent. So anything in between. So uh, I'm able to manage my time. I can manage my thinking. I can delegate effectively. I'm able to manage my executives. I'm ready to learn from projects. I love and respect my team members. I'm able to listen to my team members and other project stakeholders. I usually use my courage as a project leader. And chemistry along my project teams and executives works effectively in my project. And some people will score high on a few of those or low on some, and then we look for some of the averages. And essentially, when we do that through each one of the disciplines, you can come up with an average score, and that's where we then put it on the radar chart. So now you can have a visual set of, here's me, here's Randy England, what I think of you as my skill set, and we're doing this in seminars. People can sit around the table and they can show each other their radar charts. And these people, day one, are strangers. They didn't know each other before. But now we can kind of accelerate the learning process. Okay, we're going to be spending four days together. What can I learn from these people? Because uh, I got some things to share. I got lots of things I need to learn. And so when I find out, oh gosh, they really think they're good at, at uh, customer knowledge management and, and politics, and I'm really poor at that, you know, I'm going to tap them and ask them co- some questions. So these are meant to not only get us aware of our strengths and development opportunities, but also when we can share it with others, we can start finding out what other people are good at. And what a survey like this does also, just open our mind to the fact that, gosh, I didn't think I have to manage my executives. You know, they're supposed to tell me what they want and I'm supposed to just do it. Well, no, you have to manage up the organization if you're gonna be a more complete project manager, because there's a lot of people up in upper management who don't know diddly about project management. In fact, they may not even be good at managing people, but somehow they got in that position. They got a lot of power, and I'm stuck with them for a while. What am I going to do? Well, I have to educate them. I have to understand them and be able to influence them as well. So it is part of my job to manage my executives. That's the number
1: one job in project management to me is manage expectations, manage up. When did can you remember in your career where that recognition hit you, where you, where you kind of switched gears? Because normally, I can just speak personally for me. When I first started project management, you know, I was very focused on the project and the schedule and all you know, all the things that go into a project plan and, and never really managed the, the air cover as I did. And, and now it's almost complete reverse. It's all managing expectations, managing sponsors, um, and not, uh, not diving into all the plans and all that stuff. So what, you, can you remember in your career when that happened?
2: Well, I think, you know, if you talk about aptitude, uh, I think I've always been a project manager at heart, even if I didn't know the name of it, even back to, junior high, high school, and so forth when I was doing projects. And, and I found that at some point I got in, in doing some service engineering. And I figured, well, service work, that's not my thing. So I i like being proactive. And so my undergraduate degree was a BS in electrical engineering. And I always thought I enjoyed that. But boys, so I got into a really deep saying, you know, I don't like going that deep. Uh, and uh, so started working for a while. And and started doing some of that maintenance work. But then, you know, when I got into doing some projects, it was really good. And and then I said, well, maybe go, let me go take an MBA. And so I was out working for a while, for, I don't know, several years, five years, maybe before I started doing my MBA. And I really gravitated towards that because I said, God, this is really interesting. The people dynamics is a lot more interesting and in, in my forte. And, and so, uh, and also when I was working early, my earlier years at HP doing some of the project management, I would read some of these manager books and get kind of frustrated because I thought, this is great stuff, but what do I do with this information? And then as I started doing projects, I realized, or especially when I got into being a consultant, first as an internal consultant at HP, and then later on, you know, across the board around the world, like, wow, now I can really be a conduit for taking these ideas and these management principles. And and of course, I struggle like many others with working some very difficult managers in some very, what I call almost toxic environments. They just didn't make sense. They weren't the way I like to be working. And, And I came to realize and even studying Peter Senge in the Art and Science of the Learning Organization is that the whole environment is so crucial to what we're going to do and so that's when I started getting on the campaign uh, some years ago. And, and I, I uh, learned uh, from Dr. Robert Graham, who was my co-author for creating an environment for successful projects, that we can really take a lot and uh, focus on the whole environment. That's going to make a big difference in the work you're doing. And I think even when I was doing a large program in the field for GE Medical, that uh, I tried doing some of the work and I got into trouble because I got interrupted by the customer, by the manager, the business manager. want the status. Who's going to be working with us next week? And so I realized I need to just stop trying to do the technical tasks and just get at least a week ahead of time and start thinking about the whole environment for that stuff to keep flowing. And that just kept building and building to, at that point and doing that large program and then. Uh, working with uh, Dr. Bob, who is a uh, uh, culture anthropologist, who a, I learned so much from, and and being able to to when I was doing my MBA uh, at HP, uh, I experienced a very different other company type of company than so many other people in our classes were, and I realized, gosh, not every company is like this. It's very people oriented. I know that the company has changed over the years, but I'm kind of going back to the uh, Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard days and when Lou Platt was the CEO, it was really very uh, people oriented, maybe even more so than, than it is or, or has gotten. And I could really see uh, kind of made of my campaign at that point to say, how can I change people's thinking to say, we need to work more harmoniously we need to work with environments that are going to be the way we want to work, that uh, we are getting people operating in their strengths. Gosh, it's just so much more fun and so much more productive. And even in right now, this online course I'm teaching, they have to write about some of their, their aspects. There's still a lot of bad bosses out there, a lot of bad situations, a lot of changes, whether it's a reorganization or layoffs that are not done very well. And I think, you know, maybe it's ignorance on the part of a lot of people who uh, are are challenged with with doing those tasks, but there are better ways. I've seen them. I know them. And so part of my campaign is really to try to help people be able to uh, make sense and create environments that do create uh, places where people want to work and do their best work.
1: And actually, I want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, As you say, there's a lot of bad bosses, and, and I... I almost venture to say there's more bad ones than good ones based on, on ones that basically my, my scope. That's, that's what I've seen. So we're going to dive into that a little bit, but we do have to take a break right here. You're listening to the work life balance with Rick Morris.
3: And make everything you've got put you out in front.
0: Are you getting the most out of your project management software?
1: And we're back to the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon. Uh, we've got Randy England with us, and we had a great time uh, just talking to him about his book, uh, "The Complete Project Manager." And uh, wanted to dive into a couple more of those concepts. And, and you said it a couple of times, Randy, just uh, around that one of the principles you measure and you look at and put a plan together is around politics, and that that's got you know organizational politics is is the bane of of the existence of any kind of upward growth or or having a great environment. How do you how do you suggest people put together a plan to attack organizational politics?
2: Let me share with you some of the questions that we ask in our assessment on the political skills. I contribute to creating an environment for positive politics. I understand the power structure in my organization. I'm aware of the importance of political awareness for project success. I know how to develop a political plan. My credibility is a key asset for project success. I use commitments to manage processes, projects, and work across the organization. I achieve legitimacy from others as a result of my actions. I always say what I believe and act on what I say. I know how to identify powerful people in the organization. I have the capability to translate intention into reality and sustain it. So you might get a clue from some of those questions. Is really being able to, to start with an assessment of, what are the politics? Because at the core, we don't want our people to be political victims, and uh, nor do we want them to be a shark. So those are kind of like the two extremes. We want to have people to be politically sensitive. And I have to credit Jeffrey Pinto in his book Power and Politics and Project Management with introducing the term of politically sensitive, and also the idea of a political plan. But he didn't give us an example or a template. So that's what I took upon myself to, to try to develop. And what it really is to trying to do is to to look around you and be able to see what are the things that's going on, who are the key players, how do how do decisions get made? Who has the power in the organization? It's obviously not me, is <laughs> is often the you know the example, but you know, who does have it you know, and how, how can we leverage them? And a lot of it's going to be, it's going to start with me with my own legitimacy and credibility. So those are some things that are part of it as well. It's to say, if I say I'm going to do something, I darn well better do it because that's going to reflect upon me as being credible. When I left one particular assignment at HP, my manager's manager said, you know, Randy, uh, I, I should have given some assignments to you instead of to Lee, who was my boss at that time, because I know you would have gotten it done. Wow. So that's part of your credibility, your legitimacy to, to realize if you say you're going to do it, you get it done, and, and you've got a good track record. Being trustworthy. You know, I can't just say, trust me and expect it to happen, but I have to act trustworthy. Regardless of all the other politics going on around me, I, I don't want to give in to that. You know, I need to be doing the right thing. I need to, even if it's a difficult decision or me, Maybe uh, it's going to, uh, the right thing is not popular, but those things are going to be in the long run, much more important to a a career. So part of it is just kind of saying, yeah, I can't change all the politics around me, uh, but I don't want to be a victim of it. I I need to be aware of it. I need to be sensitive to it. I need to influence it where I can. In some cases, I might just have to accept uh, some of the things that happen. But I also, we, we, we go into creating a political jungle, and we talk about who are the lions, tigers, and bears. And we kind of use the example of, of uh, characteristics of some animals. And for instance, bears are, are very big, very powerful, but also avoid people. So who are the bears in your organization? All these are probably your tactical professionals. And we get the lions, who might be more marketing or general managers from the Uh, The lions are are really the the social ones, but the tigers are the the most powerful that's going to be at the sea level. And being able to say, you know, what are the animals that we have? Do we have some black widows? Do we have some mice who can scurry through the walls and know where all the dead bodies are? And, And it's kind of a fun way to kind of take a very difficult sense of being able to understand who are the players in the organization. But uh, you know, we don't want people to be ignorant of these things. Uh, it's trying to open people's eyes, and that's where it integrates with negotiating. It integrates with emotional intelligence and all of that, and it's being observant and realizing these things are important to my success as a project manager.
1: Yeah, I, I love well, I love the line, tigers, and bears. Uh, I have a chapter somewhere where I, I wrote that same thing: lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my! But the yeah. um, the What's interesting for me when we start to get into politics um, and something that I've suggested to a lot of project managers as well is to build a risk assessment matrix of the people that are in power to try to find out the why of the decision. Cause there's a lot of times you get a decision passed down to you. It just doesn't make sense. You know, we're moving a date, we're cutting scope, we're we're cutting off budget, whatever. Um, And it's, it's, Trying to be three steps ahead of them as you already know why and how to, to flip on that is, is where influence really can be grown as a project manager. But um, I, I watch a lot of project managers simply react to a decision versus understand where the decision may have come from so that they can successfully navigate organizational politics. What, have, you, have you seen something like that in, in your career as well, where you saw somebody making a decision, you kind of take a step back, really analyze why they would be doing that and uncover the, the other reason you know, for, for that decision or how it may have sabotaged the project?
2: Right, for sure. I think ever since as a kid, I'd always ask why. And, and I love Simon Sinek's work on Start With Why. And I highly recommend that book or, or his TED Talk and so forth and it really gets at the core of everything is, is why. People will follow you if they know why. And if you're being seeing some decision made, you don't understand why, it's going to be difficult for you to be a leader of others to, to do that if you don't understand why. So it's good to ask decision makers why they picked that, uh, what were the, the situations, that uh, criteria that were used, and so forth. So that... Uh, It starts with us by saying why, asking why, and then being able to share the whys with other people. As Simon will say, people will will not always follow what you do, but they will follow why you do it if they believe in what you believe in. And and you share that, and you're passionate about it. As Afonso will talk about, your passion, persistence, and patience are going to stand you in very good stead. That's how you influence other people. So I think that comes into play in politics as well as being able to understand the why and and to question it and and sometimes to be able to say, you know, hey, if we did that, here's some potential consequences. Is that what you want? And they may not have been aware of that, but that does show that I or whoever is practicing that is more engaged in the organization. And I think managers and executives love to see people being engaged and by asking why and and looking at some alternatives and suggesting maybe some different ways of doing things, I think that makes for a more complete project manager and leader.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, the, there seems to be a cultural sensitivity to asking that, that question, asking why of leaders. That a lot of people go, well, they made the decision, so they must know something I don't know, and they just accept it. One of the uh, questions I teach in my seminar all the time, is, I call it the myth of the mandated date where these dates get passed down and people feel that they're mandated, but they're really not. And the first question you ask is, why this date? And you go, what do you mean? And you go, well, is it first to market strategy? Is it regulatory, right? Is there a revenue gen off of it? Like what, why did we pick June 1st? It, what would happen if it was June 30th? Like, I'm just, I just need to know why so I can go plan. Um, and through that questioning, I tend to uncover where our risk tolerances are, but you gotta have the guts to ask why.
2: Oh yeah. And it's having the guts to ask the questions. <clears throat> and again, you're integrating more of the skills, risk management skills, being able to do that. And, and so you're driven by it. And also you need to be transparent. And you're asking these questions, not because you're being ornery or difficult. You're, you really are following a risk management process to kind of see what are the things that uh, could go wrong or could be avoided along the way. So uh, I'm a big fan of questioning. In fact, I even make the statement, I think most leaders will be more better known for the questions they ask than for any answers that they provide. And so being able to ask why is a very basic question. And that kind of ties in, uh, again, with some of the emotional intelligence of primal leadership. Daniel Golden's book on that topic, and I think he's saying all leadership is essentially primal. And it is that bonding with other people and the questions and the why questions and being able to know that you're doing it from a good space of of practicing your project management discipline, but integrating with all the other people's skills, that' again comes back to that integration and makes it more more effective and more complete.
1: Yeah my mentor uh, John Maxwell, wrote a book called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. Mm-hmm. And it's all about again. If you're going to be a phenomenal leader, you're, you're asking the questions to, to make people think and, and be creative. Now, on the flip side of that, Thomas Edison said only 5% of the world thinks, 10% of the people think they think, and the other 85% would rather die than think. So you do have to balance those two uh, two quotes out to me, but uh, it, it, interesting, though, that it, it really is questions and in, in asking questions, as, asking the right ones that will uncover most of, of the gotchas that are out there. We're going to take our final break right here. And then we're going to come back with Randy England. We'll ask him the question that we ask all of our guests also get his contact information and uh, share some uh, upcoming shows as well. So hang on with us in the break. You're listening to Rick Morris, the work-life balance.
3: In today's hyper fast, super competitive business world,
0: you are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's one 472 5790 If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance.
1: And we're back for our final segment of the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon. We've been uh, talking with Randy England uh, and sharing uh, the complete project manager, but that's just one of the 464 books he's written uh, over the last few years. And just one of the 300 additional titles that's coming out in the next like three or four weeks from, from what I understand, how you write there, Randy. Uh, But uh, really quickly uh, um, tell people how to, how to get in touch with you.
2: My webpage is, uh, englandpmc.com, so it's E-N-G-L-U-N-D-P, as in project M, as in management, C as in consultancy.com, so englandpmc.com. Same thing with my email, it's englandr, so E-N-G-L-U-N-D-R, at englandpmc.com. And I'm in LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, Facebook. I try to be a little bit selective on Facebook because I don't need everybody's family pictures and so forth. But I do like <laughs> being LinkedIn as much you as you want to see
1: what I had for uh, dinner? Come on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have a cousin who likes to post 35 pictures and so forth. <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah, and so email and, and the web and, and social media I try to be there. And on on my homepage on on the webpage is is a link to the books that are all available at Amazon. And uh, they started out with Josie Bass and taken over by Wiley, but now, right now, I'm working with Barrett Kohler, and, and that's where we're updating some of the books. And uh, the books have been doing quite well. We've got the uh, uh, Trading Environment for Successful Projects. We do creating the Project Office. We do Project Sponsorship, and then Creating, uh, or the Complete Project Manager, Integrating the People, Organizational, and Technical Skills. So, um, I think I've gone into a bookstore one time in Washington, D.C. I did see the book on the shelf, but normally not too many bookstores have a lot of selection of project manager books, but uh, online bookstores everywhere. If I would happen to Google my name, I'd see probably uh, thousands and thousands of in- entries. And a lot of those are just uh, references from different universities or places around the world that uh, it's available. So try to be everywhere that I can.
1: <laughs> I shared a story uh Uh, with with john maxwell but um with my last name being morris when my book finally did hit the shelf um i remember taking my daughter in and she was six or so at the time and she looks at the bookshelf and like mine's in the very bottom corner like (laughs) in the back (laughs) and and then like this this whole shelf of maxwell books right and uh My daughter just said, Well, Daddy, this Maxwell person's got a heck of a lot more books than you do. And I was like, Yes, yes, he does. Thank you, honey. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for stealing my thunder of that night. Um, So uh, we we ask every one of our guests, What's some of the best advice you've ever received?
2: Well, I I think the advice I've received and the thing that I share and so forth is uh, do what you love doing and go with your passion. I mean, Joseph Campbell said it best, follow your bliss. And uh, sometimes, you know, going with what you love to do, maybe it's a limiting decision. But it's going to be a good life. It's going to be a better life. It's going to be easier, more productive. You're going to have more fun. You don't have to work as hard. It doesn't take as much energy. So the thing that you can, when you're working on something that you're passionate about, it comes easy. It uh, It's fun to doing it. You know, I, I saw Peter Drucker give a keynote speech when he was 92. And he was working on his next book. And he kept going until he was 97. So I keep thinking the same thing. As long as I'm having fun in what I'm doing and keep learning, I want to keep doing it. And I think that's important for everybody else. People who get stuck in a job that uh, they hate the job and so forth, you know, life's too short. It's not worth it. So go with what you love doing. Find a way to take the things you're good at. Don't worry so much about the things that uh, you know, aren't as strong. You can delegate those and get somebody else to do them. And uh, go with what you love.
1: One of my favorite quotes from John is: "Is the the two best days in your life are, are the day that you're born and then the day you find out why." Uh, and that's just uh, you know <laughs> around that living your purpose and in fulfilling your dream. Um, any other final comments to the audience before we uh, close the show out today?
2: Well, I think uh, you mentioned the word purpose, and I fully support that. What is your purpose in life? What is your purpose of each project that you're working on? And. Uh, come up with an enduring reason for yourself and your team to be working together and my purpose is to uh, help people change their thinking to create environments that are more conducive to to productive work. and so that keeps them going every day. That's awesome.
1: Randy, thank you so much for uh, spending this hour with us and talking about how to improve yourself to become a complete project manager. Please visit his uh, his bookstore. Again, that's at englandpmc.com, and then you can find all of his books just by searching Randy England, that's E-N-G-L-U-N-D, on Google, Amazon, any of those favorite places to to get the books. Um, Next week, we are going to be just me. I'm going to be talking about creativity and value proposition design, Um, just a a few concepts that we utilize uh, in our business a lot and, and thought would be a good topic for us to share. The week after that... We're gonna have Daryl Rivers on the show. Who is a uh, he's a former Detroit uh, police officer now uh, teaches de-escalation techniques um, in 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 police organizations around the world. He's an incredible dude and uh, a great friend and and a member of the John Maxwell team with me. Uh, And he's just got incredible stories. You're you're definitely not gonna want to miss that. Um, And then after that, we'll figure it out as we always do. But. This has been uh, a crazy week. Uh, I love the internet issues uh, ending my week uh, perfectly uh, because it's been that kind of week. So I think uh, it's time for me to go live my life side of this balance. So you've been listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. We'll see you guys next Friday.